Welcome to the Transport Hub Podcast, a podcast series created by the Transport Research Hub at University College Dublin. I am your host, Porik Carroll. This podcast series seeks to disseminate research, industry innovations, and policy in the area of transportation and mobility. Hello and welcome to the Transport Hub Podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Hertje. Thank you, Hertje, who is an associate professor in consumer behavior and technology adoption in University College Dublin's College of Business. Prior to joining UCD, Hertje has received degrees from the University of Honingen in the Netherlands and held positions in the University of Aberdeen, Scotland and Aarhus University in Denmark. She is an environmental psychologist who researches in psychological processes that underpins behavioral change, such as emotions, trust fairness and social norms. Hirsch's studies consider how these psychological factors can be used to design interventions or policies, in particular how the public accepts technologies, environmental policies in the areas of energy, transportation, raw materials, water and food. So thank you very much, Hirsch, uh, for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. So maybe we can start by telling our great listeners a bit about yourself and uh, your, your academic background. So thanks very much. Um, so like you already read out in my bio, I had a bit of a travel across Europe, I suppose, in my academic career. And um, I started doing my PhD in, in the Netherlands. Um, I'm Dutch, as the name already told you. And I did my PhD in environmental psychology. So I'm really interested in, envi- in psychological factors that underpin behavior change, broadly speaking. And um, during my PhD, I uh, worked on, I think at the time it was a very novel area of research. Um, My PhD was about the public acceptability of transport pricing policies. And at the time, transport pricing policies were um, a hot topic. It was the time when the London congestion charge was introduced um, and different countries were talking about different pricing schemes. And a lot of researchers basically in economics we're looking at the effectiveness of these policies but very often nobody was really thinking about how does the public respond to these policies as in how acceptable are they so in my phd i i worked on the public acceptance of transport pricing policies like congestion charges and um after that phd i moved to aberdeen as you said and i worked for the center of transportation research And there I enrolled in a new project that very much looked at the adoption of electric vehicles. So, um, and and again, that's related to the area of acceptability because the adoption of technology is also related to how much are people willing to accept a new technology. And then after that, I moved to Denmark where I looked at the adoption of different types of technologies, also more related in the energy field, smart meters, that sort of, um, technologies and now in UCD we are actually together working on a project again on the um, uh, transport behavior uh, acceptance of different policies different interventions so to me it's like a full circle now we're back at transport research and so how did you get to UCD then what brought you to UCD what brought you to Ireland so um, I was working as a postdoc both in in Aberdeen Scotland and in Aarhus in Denmark and I was definitely looking for a position as a faculty member 
And the position here that was offered really fitted my profile so well. So they were looking for a social scientist who also collaborated a lot with different disciplines. Um, who I was based in the business school in Denmark, so it's a natural fit here or natural transition to move to the business school um, in Dublin. And the job was very much uh, written as a collaboration between the business school and the Energy Institute. So we're both affiliated with the UCD Energy Institute and working on the Next Generation Energy System Partnership Programme, which is the official term of the project we're working on, Nexus in short. Um, so they're very much looking for an interdisciplinary person in uh, social science. So and what led you to pursue a career in academia uh, as opposed to maybe going into industry or public sector? more specifically in your area of uh, interest? So I think really my interest in research started during my master's. And at the time in the Netherlands where I did my master's, um, there was no bachelor master system. So I did a four year master in environmental psychology, well, in psychology in general, and I specialized in environmental and transport psychology. And as part of the master, we had to do a research project, a master project, and that was half a year's work where I really kind of got a feel for doing research. And at the time, my uh, supervisor of the master's project was um, Linda Stech. She's well known in the field as well. And she invited me to consider doing a PhD on a new project they were started on transport behavior in this multidisciplinary team uh, on the acceptance of pricing policies. Your PhD came at a perfect time for that kind of analysis because, you know, obviously since then many other countries have adopted uh, congestion pricing and congestion charging. But uh, I suppose it's uh, you're very lucky in that sense, but um, it's still something very current, of course. So in terms of your research focus, um, could you give us an overview maybe of the primary areas of research that you, you're interested in and you're tackling? and the questions or problems that you're most passionate about exploring? So in my research, I'm really interested to see how do people respond to changes, changes in the, in the natural context, so new infrastructure, uh, new technologies or new policies. And the area, the context I look at is very much to related to sustainability. And the research question I'm interested in, and this started already in the PhD is, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of policies are aimed to safeguard the environment. It's actually meant to improve the environment, to reduce pollution, to improve the natural environment, to um, you know tackle and mitigate climate change. And at the same time, you see very often in responses that people are not willing to accept these infrastructures, these technologies and these policies. And the research question in general I'm interested in is why are people often resisting policies, technologies, changes that are aimed at actually improving their environment, which benefits all of them. Did something in particular spark your interest in this area or did this just follow on from your master's and then PhD research or have you always been interested in this topic? Well, I think it's also personal interest. I think you know, when I started the, the master's degree, I was very much interested in understanding people, very fascinated by psychology and how people respond. And, and during the masters, um, there was this specialization in environmental and transport psychology. 
And and that's really where I got interest in environmental problems, in sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also personal interest. And you mentioned then kind of the interdisciplinary nature of your, your, your work, um, working with social scientists and, and engineers, perhaps, and b- people in business and, and so on. So your work often involves this collaboration. Maybe could you, could you explain why this type of research is so important in your field? So I think the problems and the, the, the challenges I'm trying to research are so complex. So if you think about transportation, um, we have to understand so many different elements of the transport system before I can do my research and how people respond. So we need to include economists because we need to know how people respond to pricing mechanisms. We need to in- include engineers because we are looking at a lot of infrastructure, technologies, modeling as well. Um, geography is important because we are looking at a, a, ge- a geographical sort of, you know, context in which this takes place. Um, we will need to include um, all sorts of disciplines that actually, you know, take um, or approach these very challenging, complex um, uh, problems from all these different angles. And I believe that these are never easy problems to solve. There's not one single solution. And if you implement a solution, then you'll you'll open a can of worms with all sorts of new challenges with it. So it makes it, this is what they call a wicked problem. And so I think to research and understand and solve wicked problems, we need all the different disciplines. And can you maybe share any of the insights or experiences uh, that you've had from working across different disciplines uh, to tackle these complex issues that you you mentioned? Yeah, so I think there's always a lot of positive collaborations, um, but it depends a lot on people. So we you naturally run into language issues. Even when you use the same words and, and terminology, people mean very different things by them. So it always requires some good and open conversations about what do the words mean, what is the jargon, what what do we want to say. Um, And I also think you always need collaboration where you respect each other's expertise. And in my mind, I think it's very important to have a core expertise. So I say I'm a psychologist. And I can learn a lot about different disciplines and I can understand the basis of it, but I will never be an engineer and I will never be an economist and I will never be a geographer. So I can learn a little bit, but I will never, you know, step into someone else's expertise and vice versa. I don't expect anyone to become a psychologist, but I would expect them to understand the basics of the research we're doing. And I think those are basic, fundamental you know, um, things that need to be in place for good collaboration of multi or interdisciplinary research. Mm-hmm. And then there's all things that sometimes go wrong, if you like, or that can be improved. And I think, you know, we, we everyone who works in interdisciplinary settings have come across situations where it was difficult to collaborate, where you couldn't fully understand each other, where you know, sometimes there's issues with respect or or you don't understand these, these basic fundament, fundamentals. Yeah, so you, kind of what you're saying, maybe it's built on a core level of respect and then obviously playing to your strengths, uh, your core strengths and you know understanding that others p- can take over from where maybe 
you're less experienced in and then that's how the collaboration and uh, and overlap works best would, would you would you agree yeah absolutely and i think on an institutional level i once wrote a, a paper on this as well i think from an institutional level it's important that there's also support for interdisciplinary research and i think that is sometimes a little bit challenging there's a lot of ask for interdisciplinary research funders want it university wants it industry wants it there's a lot of ask for it at the same time the structures for reward are not always in place so it's often difficult to get your papers reviewed is if it's interdisciplinary research it's often for you know early career academics difficult to to go through promotion um, applications because you're not often evaluated a- according to interdisciplinary uh, criteria. So I think on institutional level, there are things we might have to change to actually uh, support this better. So through interdisciplinary collaboration, uh, of course, there's impacts that can be felt through that. That's why a lot of it's reflected in funding, like you mentioned. And how does your research have real world applications or impact? Um, Are there specific examples or projects that stand out to you in particular? So my research is very applied in nature. I am interested in taking fundamental knowledge, theoretical knowledge, and apply that in real life situations. And by definition, if you apply research like that, you will create impact. And and just to give you, I think, one interesting example, actually it's work from my PhD. Um, it was a piece of research where we recognized that during my PhD um, in the capital city of, of Sweden, Stockholm, they were going to introduce a congestion charge. And they weren't going to implement it just like that. They actually had a a trial period of, I believe it was seven months. And uh, after the trial period, they were having a referendum and the vote of the population in favor or against the the congestion charge in Stockholm would be um, a recommendation for the government, but they had promised to take that over. So we recognize that as a real, um, a, you know, an, an existing policy that fitted um, seamlessly into my PhD research. And so we decided to do some research about the acceptance of that congestion charge in Stockholm. And just before the refer- uh, before the trial started, we circulated a survey and we asked the same people after the trial seven months later, Um, you know, the same questions from the survey. And what we saw was that the acceptance for the congestion charge actually increased over time. And we reasoned um, in that research that that was because, A, they saw less negative outcomes in terms of cost and impact on their own car use afterwards. And they had underestimated the positive effects of the congestion charge. So afterwards, they say much more effects on pollution, on parking problems. Um, So there's so much more benefits. And um, actually, the referendum results were just in favor of the congestion charge. And I think it was a really nice and neat example of how we could study a real policy that was implemented in a major city. And we had some real impact with that also on, you know, on the field, I think. 
I, I love that example because uh, it's one example that one study I, I, I like to always draw upon when touching on demand management measures how they be, can be public ex- acceptable pre and post introduction of a trial so it's a, it's a nice example uh, I, I always come back to um, so thanks for that so what, what do you achieve what do you hope to achieve with your research in terms of making a positive difference to society which is a bit of a broad question but maybe you know obviously you're you're working across different areas not just transport but different areas of society but would you have maybe kind of one uh, one main hope or to, that you would hope to achieve through the work that you're doing so i think it's a nice question i think if we focus on the transport area because it's a transport podcast anyway then i would hope i think two things really um first of all is to come back to my main interest in in research, is to try and understand why do people often oppose things that we generally believe are good for them or good for the environment. And and if we understand that better, um, I think we can actually design policies and design infrastructure and design technology in such a way that that resistance is taking away. Because what we learned from our research is that that resistance is not there without any reason. That resistance is there because people are worried about something or they fear some consequences or they, they're concerned about the effects or the impacts on their lives. And so if we understand better what these fear, these real concerns are, we can take them away by changing our transport policies, changing the design of certain infrastructure. Then we can overcome these barriers. And I think that's really important because we all ultimately, I think, want to improve um, the environment and mitigate damaging effects. And the other thing I think I'd like to achieve in my research is actually building back on that interdisciplinary research and feed into the bigger picture and feed into, you know, taking on my approach, uh, a psychological approach to changing behavior. But in collaboration with different disciplines, you can actually, you could take it a step further and you can learn from each other. And I think that would really, you know, boost uh, certain solutions. Mm-hmm. And certainly this, I suppose, an increased interest and increased desire for this work. And, you know, it's it's hugely challenging area and always has been in terms of travel behavior change. And it's it will become even more important as we as we get closer and closer to these key, uh, you know, uh, targets for um, emission reductions and things like that, which obviously is underpinned by travel behavior change. So um, so doubling down then on the kind of sustainability and transport area, um, why does sustainability and transport in particular, why is this an important area for you to study? And uh, what, what are the, some of the key challenges and opportunities in this field? I know we've touched on some of them already, but do you see other key challenges and opportunities that you that you would see um, emerging? I think key challenges that are emerging are also to do with the changes in technology. and. So if you look at the bigger picture, something I haven't mentioned yet is the transportation field is directly linked with the energy field. Um, As you already said, we're all and with climate change. The aim is to reduce carbon emission. So and, and that's one important reason to tackle transportation issues. But but we're also changing the car fleet. So we're talking much more about electric vehicles. Now, electric vehicles will only um, support the decarbonation targets if we actually 
um, charge our batteries with green energy. But the other question I've recently become very interested in is where are we going to find the materials to build these batteries? Because they are built with lithium. And so you need raw materials to actually build these different, you know, technologies. And so I think the emerging field lies in the fact that we shouldn't just focus on one single domain like transportation, but also look more holistically at the different sort of components that are often like singled out and studied independently, but they're all connected to each other. So the energy, the raw materials, the transportation are all connected to each other. And I think that's so important to start looking at how are things related to each other and are there, what are the consequences? So if we use more electric vehicles, there are consequences to it in terms of raw materials, in terms of where we're going to generate the electricity. And I think that's really um, an emerging field. And, and how would you see sustainable transport practices positively impacting the environment and society obviously there's there's key negative aspects to transport but do you see main positive aspects that to the environment and society oh definitely i think um there's a, a huge change in terms of of, of uh, uh, what's it called this micro mobility um so i think uh, there's a, a strong focus on you know increasing and encouraging people to walk to cycle more often to use electric scooters um to to move around and that's not just good in terms of taking cars off the road but it's also very often promoting you know public health um and you see lots of change in that area and i think that's really really encouraging and if you if you look for example at dublin um, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that we can target. And so I do think there's a lot of potential for positive change. In terms of how that maybe influences your, your current projects and, or upcoming research projects, maybe, um, are there any of those projects that you're particularly excited about or would like to share with, with the listeners? So a project that we're currently working on um, is looking at, and I think this is quite interesting because it hasn't been studied um, be, before, as far as I'm aware, is combining sort of travel behavior, uh, policy acceptance, but then looking at the emotional responses that people have. So I have done research, it wasn't on in the transport area, but that policy acceptance, where we looked at the emotional responses that people have to different policies. And what we found is that very often, if you talk to people directly, they will give you a, a, a rationale for why they accept or not accept a certain policy. But what we saw in that research is that underlying these rationales, there's actually a lot of emotions. So when people are um, against or resisting a certain policy, they're often very angry about the government or very distrustful or very frustrated with some political process. And that can then um, indirectly influence policy acceptance. So in this project, we're trying to dive deeper into these emotional effects that underlie both travel satisfaction and, and policy acceptance. And then what would be the goals or the potential outcomes, let's say, of, these project, of this project? So that has real implications for how we communicate with people. Because if you communicate with them on a, on a rational level and you, you kind of go argue with the justification they give for how they feel, 
then you don't really tap into their emotions. But if someone is just really angry about something, you would change your communication strategy a lot. So by understanding what is driving people's arguments and tapping into their emotional sort of basis of that, you would change your communication strategies. And I think that would really be beneficial. So then looking at towards like kind of future areas of research, um, uh, what would be some areas of or emerging trends uh, or developments that you would see um, on the on the near horizon for your field of, of, of research? So I think I already touched on this a bit. So I think we need to look more holistically at the system and the system includes energy, transportation, raw materials, etc. And maybe food as well. And an area apart from the emotional side of things that I'm currently really interested in is how do people make trade-offs? And trade-offs mean that if you if you want to change your behavior in a certain direction or you want to adopt a certain technology or you accept a certain policy, it often has consequences for an implication for other areas. So if you want more um, electric vehicles, you will need more raw material. Where are you going to get it? And what do you find most important? Because, you know, this is a trade-off to be made. It's just one example, but I think we have to think more about the consequences of choices instead of just focusing on the people, how do people respond to one change? Because that one change always has knock-on effects. And we'll just then link into your Just Transition Research Group in, in UCD. As well, yes. Um, so, um, as you say, we're doing uh, research on the Just Transition and an one of the aspects we're currently looking at is how does the just transition um, influence and how do people, one, perceive the just transition, but how do these feelings around this just transition, are they given any justice? How does that influence their responses to future developments? And so one example of the work we're doing here currently in the Midlands in, in Ireland um, is or research question we have is there is evidence that a lot of communities don't feel that just transition is as just as that was promised to them then that seems to influence a lot of emotions the people are just very angry they were promised justice they were not giving any justice so how does that feeling of injustice and that anger and distrust how does that influence the um, acceptance and the, the of the developments they're planning in the region? You know, how will they accept uh, an industry or a government that wants to build wind energy there, or that maybe wants to change something in the transport system? So it's it's looking again at the consequences, past behavior, and future developments. So the final final thoughts then, or closing thoughts. Um, is there anything else you'd like to? to leave our listeners with then perhaps a key takeaway or message related to your work and, and its significance? So, yeah, I think there's there's multiple messages you could um, take out of it. But let me single out one message. And I think that the key thing is to remember that if people resist any change, it is not because they want to resist any change. It's not because they have a natural tendency to not want anything to ever change. 
But change usually has a reason. Change or resistance to change usually is there for a good reason because people are concerned, because they are worried, because they fear something. And I think just to get back to the core, um, often policymakers and industry and, and people, if I give talks, say to me, why don't we just implement these policies, these changes, these infrastructure, and people will follow. They'll they'll get over their resistance. Um, yeah, you can do that. And certainly, you know, there's not much people can do to stop it. But I do think it's really worth investigating in understanding why do people resist change and understand these underlying mechanisms for two reasons. One is that in the future, they will trust you and therefore they, they may not resist so much all the change you're proposing. But secondly, it will also enhance the communication process, the engagement process. So I think anyone involved in implementing change ought to understand that um, you need to bring the general public or communities with you in all these changes. Well, thanks very much, Hirche. It's, it's great to see you working on transport research again. Thank you very much for your time in the podcast and looking forward to seeing what comes out of the, your, the projects you're working on. So, Thanks very much. Okay.